is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. This is Chris Gutti of the Catholic Review. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. With us today on the show is Paul Thigpen, and we will be talking about a different kind of topic, extraterrestrial intelligence. Dr. Paul Thigpen has a background in historical theology, church history, American religion, religion and society, sociology of religion, and has done nonfiction research, writing, and editing. His special interests include American Catholic life, church and state issues, and a new one to me, astrotheology. He's written 35 books and hundreds of scholarly articles. He is the author of a new book, the one we're going to talk about today, Extraterrestrial Intelligence and the Catholic Faith, Are We Alone in the Universe with God and the Angels? It's just out from 10 books, and that is our topic for today. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you, Christopher. Great to be here. So I, the first question I got to ask is, what is astrotheology? I, I assume this is not a theism in which the Jetsons dog Astro is a, a, a godly being. <laughs> what is astrotheology? It's a relatively recent term, and uh, folks might use other similar terms, but uh, the astro simply means having to do with the stars of the, the universe and theology, you know, the study of God. We all know what that is. So it, uh, it basically looks at what we might discovered out there in the universe in light of what we know in the faith. And that's that's really what the book is about, looking at the possibility of there being not just extraterrestrial life, but intelligent life out there. And uh, if so, in light of our faith, what can we know about it? What can we understand? What would be the possibilities for it? You talk a lot about the possibilities in the book. You also talk at the beginning and at the end about humility, uh, how we need humility as the key to wisdom. That as we look at questions of what is scientifically possible, we have to acknowledge that we have a limited vision. Uh, why is humility so essential in this regard? Because there's so much we don't know. I mean, you know, to, to review what you said, uh, even in science, we think we have laws of physics. So, but if, if you study the history of science, uh, what you find is that the paradigms, you know, shift again and again, that we think we've got everything figured out, then something else comes along, doesn't fit the paradigm. You say, oh, <laughs> it's something very different. Well, yeah, now I understand. Right. And uh, and I think we're on the edge of that, especially in quantum physics. If you start looking at what goes on there, a, a lot of it, you know, they talk about things like spooky action at a distance and stuff, which is just the scientist's way of saying, well, we don't understand what's going on here. We can observe it. <laughs> But how do these two particles are you know remote from each other? You uh, you do something to one and it affects the other. Um, how how can it be that a particle seems to be at two places at the same time? Those kind of things. So one of the things in the book I did say was that you know part of the humility for me is that I'm not a scientist, I'm a theologian, and so I won't delve into the science. And for people who would just kind of rule out the whole thing by saying it would be impossible for us to be visited by you know, intelligent life from somewhere else in the universe because the distances are too, too wide. I would just say, well, take a look at cutting edge, um, you know, science, physics, especially, and you begin to see there are all kinds of, of theories about how that could happen. And, and we can't just rule out a possibility simply because our science doesn't account for it yet. 
Sure. I, if you look at thousands of years ago, and, and you allude to this in the book, that people on Earth would not have had a way of traveling to the other side of the Earth, you know, even just in a ship or, or anything like that. And so that concept of people on the other side of the Earth was completely foreign to them, simply because they had no way to even imagine that could be visited. Precisely. And that's a great parallel. That uh, Once our science grows a little more experience, I, I think there are all kinds of things we're going to find out. So rather than shut down the conversation at the beginning and say, oh, no, that's impossible, science says, um, I'd say, well, science itself is questioning whether the speed of light is, is really the fastest speed in where it can go. Science itself is questioning whether the fabric of space-time that we, we know God has created can in some ways, by, by some way, by some technology, bend or folded so that you could go distances of that sort uh, mm -hmm. almost instantaneously. Mm -hmm. And boy, with what we know today, I mean, anything's possible, it seems. Sure, sure. And as you mentioned in the book, you know, no, you, you quote from scripture, nothing is impossible with God. So, you know, you could come up with a lot of different possibilities there. Um, in, in Carl Sagan's book, Contact, a character notes that if we're alone in the vast universe, it seems like an awful waste of space. So I guess that comes to the question, do you believe that there are other intelligent life forms in the universe, extraterrestrial intelligence or ETI, as you refer to it? Yeah, I think, yes, I, th I think so. Uh, you know, I, I can't say absolutely that's the case. We could be alone. Um, what the book is really about is does our faith require us to believe that we're alone? And, and the answer is no, not at all. Mm -hmm. There have been plenty of Catholic and other Christian thinkers for centuries now entertaining this possibility, talking about it. Um, as for the, you know, the waste of space, I think it's, uh, you know, it's important for us to, to realize that in the end, what's important to God is his relationship with his intelligent creatures, not inanimate space. And so even though the earth, as we know, it seems to be filled with life at, at every little niche and corner, and we might expect the universe to be in certain ways the same way, it's, it's not at all a, a waste of space. It's uh, mm -hmm. it, it could be. I mean, you know, you have some writers who said, okay, what if there are other races and they haven't been haven't fallen as we have? And uh, and we're the ones who have fallen. Maybe the, the great spaces between us are God's way of putting a quarantine on the human race so we don't contaminate others with our with our sin. Yeah. Who knows? You know, it's a possibility. It's all out there. You you quote the astrophysicist Edward A. Milne, who asked was Jesus' incarnation on Earth a unique event, or has it been reenacted on each of a countless number of planets? And you expand that, and it says where you know it was so traumatic. Would we really want that to have happened to Jesus more than once? You know, wasn't once enough. Mm -hmm. But if if intelligent ex extraterrestrials are out there, do those beings need salvation in the same way humans did and and do? Uh, would they not also be children of God? And that's, you know, that's one of the questions we, we need to answer. I, again, I look at possibilities. I don't rule out all kinds of things. The, the moral, as I call it, the spiritual and moral status of other creatures we have to ask ourselves about. Okay, first of all, could there be other intelligent species that are not fully in the image of God as we are? That, for instance, they have intelligence and free will, but they don't have an immortal spirit the way we do. They were not created for heaven. They were not created for the beatific vision. Is it possible that God in his goodness would say, okay, one variety that I will enjoy having communion with is an intelligent race that's only in this world and, and perhaps even unfallen and enjoys a good life. And when they die, that's, that's the end of it. And you almost have to wonder if Neanderthals might you know, fit that profile. But so that's one possibility that they're not made for the same destiny we're made for, but still are intelligent. 
another possibility is could they have been not fallen as we are and perhaps not even need redemption as we do. Other possibility then is, you know, that they could be fallen um, and that God, God would redeem them. But does it have to be the same way he redeemed us? Even though someone like St. Thomas Aquinas didn't really fully consider the possibility of extraterrestrial life, except for the fact that he considered the possibility that this is interesting, that the stars were actually animated, that they were alive and intelligent. So I guess you could call those ETI. But some of this theology still helps us. And this is one of the ways in which he, he takes the, you know, that question, did Jesus, is the way that God accomplished redemption on planet Earth here the only way he could have done it? And his answer, of course, is no, it's not the only way. He's God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he could have done it other ways. But once he chose to do it this way, it had to happen. And it was the, and it was the best way and the most effective way. For, for yeah, I mean, for, for what he did. So for us. So the question becomes, and, and then the scripture talks about Jesus as the new Adam. We all fell in, in the first Adam. And in the second Adam, the new Adam, we have life. So you have to ask, um, is it possible that what Jesus did here, the incarnation of the Son of God, have kind of a ripple effect to other planets and other races? That's a possibility. Or is it that that the, the second Adam came to save the race of Adam that was fallen, and God has other plans for those who aren't descended from Adam? You talk a little bit in the book about uh, angels and demons and and being essentially extraterrestrial beings, but not with physical bodies. How do they fit into this whole question? That's an important thing. To, I'm glad you asked because uh, there are, I think, unfortunately, some people who just write off the whole thing as they say, yeah, things are out there, but they're all demonic. It's all diabolical. Uh, in part, they do that. Uh, and it's understandable because you have some uh, accounts of uh, claims of alien uh, abductions. You probably, you know, audience right. has probably heard that. Sure. Um, and some of those accounts, even by secular accounts, they they sound they have a lot of parallels to traditional stories of of uh, demonic encounters where the person's abducted, taken away, uh, they're hurt physically, maybe even sexual assault. They um, are given information that's kind of contrary to the faith, as if I'm revealing to you, you know, something new. And um, and I agree that those accounts probably are diabolical. That the, the enemy's kind of comes to to someone deceiving them and taking the form of you know, the claim that they're alien life. Um, but I don't think you can paint a broad brush with a broad brush, all, all the stuff that has to do with extraterrestrial life uh, and intelligence. Um, there are lots of, if you want to talk about the UFO things, unidentified flying objects, now called UAP, unidentified aerial phenomena. Uh, there are a lot of them that don't fit that profile at all. Encounters, uh, uh, even if they're not kind of personal upfront encounters, but encounters where there's, Seems to be no malice, no no evil intention, or anything else that maybe even sometimes kind of playful, which is a whole different subject. But mm-hmm. um, so I think it's going way too far to say that all this is is diabolical, um, because we don't have any, any guarantees from our faith or definitions for the church that would say that that it's that we are the only intelligent embodied life form in the universe. It's not in the faith; it never has been. Mm-hmm. Well, after the break, we're going to talk some more with Paul Thigpen, author of Extraterrestrial Intelligence and the Catholic Faith. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Review Radio. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. 
the Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Mary is back at Mount St. Mary's University in Emmitsburg, Maryland. A 25-foot-tall statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary overlooked Emmitsburg and the surrounding countryside for 57 years before leaving for Virginia for a year-long restoration. The figure was returned July 20 to her perch at the National Shrine Grotto overlooking Mount St. Mary's University, but not yet as a finished product. The bronze, gold-leafed figure is currently under netting after returning from Fairfax, Virginia, and is awaiting regilding to complete the restoration project. Don Walsh, director of the National Shrine Grotto, said the regilding should be completed within the next few weeks. The grotto plans to hold an unveiling ceremony in August and an official dedication with a mass in October. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. Pope Francis wrapped up a pilgrimage to Canada to apologize for the church's role in the mistreatment and abuse of indigenous Canadians in residential schools for many decades. Quote, in the face of this deplorable evil, the church kneels before God and implores his forgiveness for the sins of her children, Pope Francis said, invoking St. John Paul II's 1998 bull, Incarnationis Mysterium. Quote, I myself wish to reaffirm this with shame and unambiguously. I humbly beg forgiveness for the evil committed by so many Christians against the indigenous people. Pope Francis delivered his apology on the treaty land of the Ermineskin and Samson Cree nations, the Lewis Bull tribe, and the Montana First Nation as part of his, quote, penitential pilgrimage to Canada. The site was near one of Canada's largest residential schools. Pope Francis later joined indigenous pilgrims at a lake known for miraculous healing and encouraged them to lay their burdens on the shore of Loch St. Anne. Since the 1880s, members of several indigenous peoples have traveled to Loch St. Anne, about 45 miles west of Edmonton, for a pilgrimage around the July 26th feast of Saints Joachim and Anne. Near the lake, known for its healing properties, the Pope stopped to pray facing the east, then the south, then the west. Finally, facing the north and overlooking the lake, he blessed the water, just as bishops have done for decades at the start of the pilgrimage each year. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. For the latest news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world, subscribe to the Catholic Review's e-newsletter by texting the letters WMET to 84576. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. We're back on Catholic Review Radio talking with Paul Thigpen, author of Extraterrestrial Intelligence and the Catholic Faith. The subtitle of that is Are We Alone in the Universe with God and the Angels? It's just out from Tan Books. Paul, how does your field of study in astrotheology differ from astronomy? And what kind of answers do you seek that astronomers or regular theologians don't? Well, you know, there, there are other, plenty of other theologians that have looked at these possibilities that wouldn't call themselves uh, astro-theologian. And I don't really use that term for myself, but it is, it's the field where faith kind of intersects our notion of the cosmos and, and of the universe beyond us. So that's really what I you know, mean by that term. Um, and it is formally used in, in some settings because there are more people than you might think that are you know, talking about that these days. Um, 
So for instance, you know, you, goodness, you have uh, someone like John Paul II, St. John Paul II, affirming in a question to a little girl who said, what about the aliens? And uh, his, his answer, he was a public, he was in public, wasn't, um, well, we don't know about that or science has to tell us or they definitely are, don't exist. His answer was, they're God's children too, mm-hmm. as if you're, you know, affirming it. Padre Pio, say Padre Pio. Oh my goodness. Uh, he has a recorded uh, interview where he's very adamant. There are other intelligent races out there and um, and even some that, that aren't fallen. So they give glory to God in a, in a way different from us and better. You have uh, other later theologians that have, that have touched on the subject. So uh, you could say that when they were touching on that subject, they were getting into the field of what we now call astrotheology. Mm-hmm. But for sure, astronomers, straight scientists, um, they may be people of faith, but usually in their work, they're not going to openly talk about the relationship of, of God or faith to the things they're looking at. They'll simply talk about what they can, what can they, they describe scientifically as scientists. Mm-hmm. You started out as an atheist, became a committed Christian, and eventually found your way to Catholicism. How has that process, that journey, affected your look at the question of ETI and the faith? Well, I think from a very young age, I was interested in the topic. I you know, grew up in the time where it was right the 60s, 50s and 60s, where there'd been all kinds of what they call UFO flaps in the United States. It was in the news. You had all these unidentified craft flying over Washington, D.C. and being chased by jets and similar thing had happened in Los Angeles and uh, earlier. And uh, so I had my, my fascination during my atheist period. I didn't know what to think of it, but kind of all all possibilities seemed open at the time. So I you know, real, came to realize, no, if you're an atheist, you've already you've closed off a lot of possibilities, actually. Um, but as, when I did become a Christian as an adult, I, uh, I began to examine every area of my life and thought in light of the faith and say, OK, what can my new faith now have to teach me about this? And so that became a subject of importance to me. I began reading some about it. There wasn't as much written about it back then. We're you know, talking almost 50 years ago. But um, I was, became a Catholic. It was very natural to say, oh, great, because now not just scripture, but I have kind of the tradition, both in, in magisterial documents and church history to help me look at this. Someday I want to write about it. Mm-hmm. And um, didn't have time to get around to it until the last couple of years. And if you want to, we can talk about what, what kind of spurred that writing. It's uh, interesting. But yes, it was, it was a gradual thing. And, and a lot of it had to just keep on the shelf because it didn't seem pressing as pressing a matter as some of the other topics I've written about. Mm-hmm. I talked on this show a few months ago with Mike Menzel, one of the engineers who worked on the James Webb Space Telescope, mm-hmm. a Catholic from one of our parishes. The JWST launched on Christmas Day. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners have seen some of those new images of galaxies that have come from that. Uh, Mike mentioned that uh, some of those took two hours to compile, whereas the Hubble version took 10 days to compile. Uh, and so that just gives an inkling of, of how much better they'll be able to see. But those brought into, into view kind of the stark reality of the beauty of the universe and might provide some answers about the existence of bioindicators, uh, biomarkers that signify other life forms. But given all of that, given the laws of physics as we know them now, because you alluded to before, and the vastness of the universe. We, we don't have warp speed technology. We don't have, you know, we can't bend wormholes. Uh, if ETI exists, is it likely or possible we'll ever meet them? Well, you know, it's uh, a lot of folks ask the question. And after what I've studied about um, 
UFOs and the encounters since, well, actually certain encounters go all the way back in history. But the more recent ones, starting with the, the famous Foo Fighters of World War II, where both the Allied and the Axis pilots were out there with these crafts flying next to them and, you know, dancing all around. And each, each side thought it was the other side's secret technology, but it wasn't. Um, I don't think we can say, first of all, that they haven't visited us or they haven't encountered, we haven't encountered them. Mm-hmm. There are thousands of people who would say that they haven't encountered Yeah. And there are some who would say that Stonehenge and the Great Pyramids and all those kinds of things were probably built by alien technology. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to do with all that. Yeah. And also with both people who try to interpret the book of Ezekiel as if it were actually a spacecraft instead of, you know, the, the, the seraphim and, the, you know, the angels. Yeah. But, um, but I guess, so first of all, I think there's, there is a good chance that we have encountered them. Even if you rule out all the ones, all the testimony of people seeing the, the beings themselves or, or communicating face to face, the kind of things that the, the Navy, you know, in the last couple of years, the, the video, not just video, but uh, human sightings and then the, uh, the the infrared and all the other instruments that confirmed there were real objects out there and they were doing things that our physics can account for and that we could never do instantaneous travel obviously remotely controlled but uh transmedium travel coming from space into the atmosphere into the ocean moving under the ocean at hypersonic speeds without displacement of the water um all, all kinds of things i'd say that's you know that should press us to to consider as a very possible it was a very high probability maybe even that we have been busy we have encountered them now they haven't gotten out on the you know land on the white house lawn <laughs> the classic mm-hmm. story right um it could still happen but but i don't think you know we can just say well what you know the question went on the fermi paradox was if there's so many possibilities of life out there where is everybody right um so maybe we do have them and have had them here uh, maybe we're under quarantine, as C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. suggested, that possibility. Um, maybe there are other reasons for it. But. Mm-hmm. And which I guess leads us to the, to the big question, and you address this in the book. Uh, is belief in ETI, uh, extraterrestrial intelligence, uh, even the existence of ETI, is that compatible with the teaching of the Catholic Church? And I, you know, I would give a firm yes to that. First of all, the Church has never definitively spoken on that matter. Mm-hmm. So it's left it open. Uh, for us to to ponder, uh, one of the there, there was a cardinal. Oh, you want to say, I was going to say there was a the bishop of New York. His name escapes me right now. Archbishop of New York, just before the Vatican Council, the uh, they sent out a, a survey. I mentioned in the book to the bishops of the world, saying what topics would you like to talk about in the council. And he actually is recorded as saying, "I want you what the church to make some kind of statement on extraterrestrial life." And we know that they didn't. Now, whether they, for whatever reasons, they may have thought it's not a pressing issue. But they may have also thought, and I think it likely, you know, the church has never been given that information all these years. Somebody could have pronounced on it. Uh, we're not at a place to. That's something science can answer. Yeah. You mentioned that in the book. It was Archbishop Patrick O'Boyle of Washington at the time. So, yes, that's right. Oh, Washington. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. I guess the other question that I, I would have, and, you know, kind of as we wrap up in the book, you talk about the fact that, you know, God, you know, is able to create lots of different beings, lots of different things. He likes creating daisies, so they all look alike. But then there's also roses and carnations and gladiolas, and they kind of all look alike. But he's able to create all these different kinds of things. Could he have created other races of beings just the same way he loved creating us and wants to create more things? And I guess the question is, not only could God create, but could he love them in the same way he does humanity? That's a great question. And I, uh, 
you know, I would say yes. It's because uh, some people who have objected to the possibility of ETI by saying uh, it would diminish our status, our special status before God if there were others. Um, but, you know, I like to refer to St. Augustine, who once said that God loves each of us as if there were only one of us, which is another way of saying that in his limitless capacity to love, having billions of children doesn't make any one of us any less special or any less loved. And I think uh, anybody who's a parent knows of more than one child knows how that works. Exactly. That you, you know, having, having one child, having six children, it doesn't diminish your love for any one of them to have others. And so I don't think it diminishes our specialness. And I think it's certainly within the capacity of, of a God who is love to, to love us all delightfully, fully. Yeah. And a God who is uh, infinite. So that's, yeah. that I think is a, is a great way to, to end that. We have been talking today with Paul Thigpen, author of Extraterrestrial Intelligence and the Catholic Faith. The subtitle of that is, Are We Alone in the Universe with God and the Angels? And uh, we're hearing that Paul's belief is that no, we're not. That there is certainly the possibility that, that other uh, extraterrestrial intelligence is out there. We talked about the life, the universe, and everything. The book is available at tanbooks.com. That's T-A-N books.com at Amazon and other booksellers. Thank you so much for being with us today, Paul. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure. God bless you and all your viewers. Thank you. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you have been listening to Catholic Review Radio. You're probably not getting much church news in your daily newspaper or on your local TV station. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. There are so many ways to stay in touch with the Catholic Review. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Catholic Review Media will inspire, teach, inform, and engage you wherever your faith takes you. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love. <laughs>